0: Psalm 42, many of you have heard it before, is not for the, the joyous days. Uh, it's for the difficult days. Um, I know many of us are currently in difficult days. Uh, we're in a desperate need of hope. And my prayer this morning is that the Spirit would bring you hope this morning. That's, that's all we've been praying for is that we would feel and trust his hope and his presence this morning. So would you pray with me before we jump into the, the psalm? Father, thank you uh, for your goodness. Thank you for, for these truths of who you are um, that we teach to our kids. Would they ring true for us this morning, um, even in the midst of uh, the storms we find ourselves in and the despair and the suffering that that comes our way? Um, Lord, I pray that in the midst of that, would you give us hope? Would you give us the ability to trust and feel and experience your presence this morning. I pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, um, we have a, a son, our oldest son, his name is, is Charlie, and he is three years old. And for his entire life, he has been the absolute worst sleeper of all time. He's, he's just terrible. It's been three years of just chaos. Uh, and i don't feel bad talking about him cuz he's not here he's in class right now so uh, even as a baby it was like we have to hold him and rock him to sleep every single time whether it's naps bedtime it didn't matter we and he would like snore for like 15 minutes and the second we'd put him down he's up instantly and it was just it was that all all the time Uh, He never would like put himself down. It got so bad we we, like needed him to actually put himself down. So we let him cry for a little bit longer than normal. And uh, I remember we're sitting in the living room and this is like the second time we did this. And all of a sudden it started screaming, screaming, screaming and then all of a sudden it stopped and we were like, oh my gosh, no way, he did it. And uh, we checked the monitor and he is like this, gripping the bars of the crib Head against the crib, he passed out, screaming his head off, and instantly we felt so bad. Uh, but he, that that is just him. He's just next level stubborn, uh, and he won't wake up happy or content either. Even now, as a three year old, he he needs us to be there. Like, to, he won't play with himself, uh, play with the, his toys. His cousin will do that. He'll play with his toys until he goes to sleep at like nine, and then plays with toys until his parents wake up and when we go on vacation it's like no we're, we're up at 5 to 6 a.m and uh, anyways it got so bad we, we finally did like a blue light on uh, in his room we and it, we said at 6 a.m that's how bad like 6 a.m is a good night's sleep for him uh, and so finally he figured out how to turn on the blue light he'd come in our room and wake us up and be like blue light on And we'd look at the clock and it's like 4.36. We're like, oh my gosh. So anyways, he has just constantly needed us to be with him for him to like enjoy anything, to play with his toys. That's just who he is. His brothers are not like that, but he is like that. Charlie just wants the presence of his parents. That's all he wants. As long as we are with him, he is happy. And I have to constantly remind him, Charlie, every morning, dad and mom, we come to your room. Every morning, the blue light comes on. Every morning, we are still here. We're, still, we're in the room next door. We're here. You don't have to worry. Nothing to be scared of. Just wait and trust me. By doing this, I am unintentionally teaching him a very important difference between feeling scared and knowing that he is safe. I'm reminding him that we are still present, even though he feels like we are absent. And we all operate in this tension of feeling and knowing. And this leads to today's psalm, where the main question of the psalm today is this. How can I know God is present, but feel he is absent? Before getting into Psalm 42, I wanted to get to the heart of this question. We operate in these two realities of feeling and knowing so often in life we don't even realize it. I mentioned with the kids uh, the example of the dentist. You go and see a really mean and scary dental hygienist. I'm just kidding. Uh, We have like three dental hygienists here. Uh, An ex-dental hygienist, Britt. No, they're always very nice, uh, but we do have a very odd ratio of dental hygienists for some reason. Uh, But at the dentist, you may feel like you're being tormented by the dental hygienist, but you know that they are not intentionally tormenting you. I had a friend say that if a total stranger kidnapped you, took you behind an alley, and cleaned your teeth, you'd probably think you're going to die because you don't know the person. You don't know what's going on. Like, what are they doing in my mouth? That's kind of how it feels. It, It feels discomfort. You feel discomfort. You feel pain, but uh, so, your response in that moment would be fear. But in the dentist, you don't necessarily feel fear, fear, fearful. So, there's a difference between feeling and knowing. But the, the type of knowing I hope we see in today's psalm is one that uh, is a reality that we don't necessarily see. It is beyond our felt experience. This is a reality that requires faith and hope. We have faith and hope in the truths. Of God's Word. We often know truth that can at times contradict how we feel, right? And what is it that we can confidently know from Scripture? That God is love. He is present. He is faithful. Everything God has promised has come true or will come true. He cares for you. He loves you more than you can possibly imagine. He will never leave you or forsake you. He is the presence loving and faithful father we know this is true because scripture says it is true however this is the reality that we can profess with our lips but often struggle to feel in our hearts this is the tension that we operate in so often in life so what do we do when these two realities seem to contradict what do we do when our experience is full of sorrow and suffering, and everything feels as if God has abandoned us or as if God doesn't love us anymore or as if God is disappointed in us? What do we do in those moments when you are overcome with spiritual depression, those intense and prolonged dark valleys? When you wake up with no joy, you just go through the day just trying to get through. You go home so full of anxiety that you can't even sleep. What do we do on those days? What do we do when we've been in a season of doubts or dissatisfaction for months, if not years? What do you do when you are a stay-at-home parent or you're a single parent and you are constantly tired and exhausted? Kids, what do you do when a friend moves away or you lose friendships? What do you do when you feel alone or like an outcast at school or even at home? What do we do in these dark valleys of despair when the reality of our felt experience and the reality of God's truth seem to contradict? Which reality is true? I hope that today's psalm teaches us that both are true. It's not one of the other. Both are true. Your pain is real. Your doubt is real. Your struggle is real. Your struggle to believe. Your struggle to hope. They are real. But God has not left you. His faithful love is faithful. His word is true and right. So what do we do with that? We hope. We simply hope. And that's what we see this morning. The psalmist fighting for hope this morning. He moves back and forth between feeling God's absence and trusting and hoping in his presence. One author said of this psalm, God is omnipresent in a poem that complains of his absence. Two realities here feeling his absence, but knowing and trusting his presence. So let's get into the psalm. The writer is most likely in exile, he's most likely an exiled Israelite. This is not King David. Uh, we're tempted to think it is because he's written most of the Psalms, but it is not. It is just a, a regular Joe Schmo Israelite who's just a faithful uh, Israelite in the, in the midst of depression and despair. He was taken from the temple, and he's now a slave to a, a foreign nation with pagan gods. And he writes, As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While all day long people say to me, where is your God? This exiled psalmist is thirsty for the presence of God again. He calls out to the living God, the God who gives life. Like water gives life to a thirsty body, so God gives life to a thirsty soul. The psalmist, absent from the temple longs to return to, the, to worship at the temple in the presence of God, because that's where God dwelled. So when they were away from the temple, they were actually away from God's presence. But this is not the case for us, is it? We don't have a temple that we go to to experience God's presence. How do we feel God's presence? Where does God dwell now? In you and in me, through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That's why we can say that he never leaves us or forsakes us because God literally dwells in us when we place our faith in him. I think we forget this though. I think we act as if God's presence kind of comes and goes. It gets wavering independence like a camp high experience. I grew up going to church camp every summer and it was always a spiritual high that I hoped would continue to the next year. My prayer request was always... Uh, I pray that I would be on, would continue to be on fire for the Lord. That was that was most of our prayer requests. Uh, I'd listen to to like Hillsong music uh, as or songs as loud as I could, trying to like recreate these spiritual camp high experiences. My spiritual life was dependent on the feeling of God's love, not trusting in His love. Too often our reality is dependent on what we feel and not what we know to be true. Just like Charlie crying in his room, pleading for my presence, I have to remind him that I'm still taking care of him. I'm still providing for him and protecting him as his loving father. And let me just say this. There's nothing wrong with Charlie wanting my presence that much. In fact, I try to be as present as I possibly can because I know that that feeling is natural To his soul. His soul longs for the presence of a loving father. All of ours do. We were created and designed for this feeling, this longing for love. Whether you know Jesus, you are a Christian, or not, all of our souls long for the faithful presence of someone to love us. We were created with this deep desire for God's presence, and this is really good. But just like Charlie, when he wakes up at night, we do not always feel the presence of our Father. Our souls are often consumed with fear and doubt and despair. And just like Psalm 42, the psalmist laments his circumstance of being away from God. And then what is his next response after lament? Does he just sit in the sadness, discontent with the despair? Is he satisfied with despair? No, he turns to God in hope. Verse four, I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. What does he do? He remembers. When we lament and complain to God about our circumstances and pain, we will do one of two things. We will either forget God's past faithfulness or we will remember God's past faithfulness. When I'm in the middle of a run and it gets really hard and I feel my legs getting heavier and my breath is getting faster and I just want to quit because it feels difficult, what do I do? First of all, I rarely run. And second of all, I usually do, I usually do stop. Uh, but in my ideal and hypothetical world here, I keep running because I remember that the pain will go away. I remember that the runner's high is going to come, and it's going to be an up-and-down experience running. We, we did a half marathon at one point, and that's, I mean, it was the whole time. It was like a mile was really hard, and the next mile was like, oh, I could go for a full marathon. Uh, I could not. That's definitely not true. Um, but this is, this is it. It will end. We remember that we'll get to our destination, we'll be happy that we did it. When we are in a season of despair or of longing for God's presence, like the psalmist, we have to remember God's past faithfulness. The psalmist says he remembers the spiritual highs, the presence of the Lord. He remembers the community, worshiping with others. He remembers the joy and the praise that he once felt. Satan's greatest tactic against you is to make you forget. So how can we remember? Well, practically, you can only remember what you know. So you have to be able to know God's truth. You have to dwell and meditate on scripture, fellowshipping in in community, practicing the disciplines of prayer and fasting. The disciplines are what help you remember and both feel and know God, his faithfulness. So the psalmist first laments his despair and then he hopes by remembering. And for the rest of the psalm, we see this. Laments and hope, laments and hope. It's a back and forth, not a lament and hope and then you're good, you're all set. That's not how our hearts work. They are not cut and dry, black and white. No, they struggle back and forth. The psalmist goes between hope and lament because that is his heart. He is struggling and fighting to believe, fighting to hope. And we see that when he writes, why my soul are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. He talks directly to his soul. Instead of being dissatisfied with a dejected soul, he questions it. He speaks truth to his feelings. Martin Lloyd-Jones says about this psalm, I think it's on the screen, the main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this, that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourself. Now, this man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are you dejected, O oh my soul, he asks. His soul had been repressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. And then you must go on to remember, um, to remind yourself of God, who God is, what God is, and what God has done, and what God has pledged Himself to do. Then, having done that, end on this great note. Defy yourself, defy other people, and defy the devil and the whole world. And say with this man, I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. Your hope is not in your soul or your strength or in anyone, or in anyone, anything else. You cannot place your hope in the things of this world because it will fail you. But there's only one who will never, ever fail. There's only one who always does what he says. There's only one who always stays true to his promises. There's only one who always loves you. So remind your soul of it. Oh, my despairing and dejected and downcast soul, put your hope in God, the only faithful one. We have to remind ourselves daily that we can hope in the gospel. But what happens when talking to your soul turns sideways and you begin to hear lies? You begin to hear subtle half-truths from the enemy. You begin to give more attention to those lies and you begin to believe that the enemy is is right, that you are alone in your struggle, that you are unworthy or shameful, that you are unacceptable or unloving. Satan is the accuser, the deceiver, and he will speak lies to you. But one of the greatest gifts of the Christian life is that we are not on our own. God did not save us to be an individual Christian. He saved us to be a sheep, a part of a flock, That is why we need brothers and sisters who love us and know us and want to fight alongside of us, especially when we are too tired to hope. Hope needs community. Let others remind you that there is an end to your despair and that Christ has promised to be with you and carry you through to the end. But it's really hard to hope when you don't know when it's going to end. And many of you know this all too well. Some of you are enduring pain that you're just not sure when the ending is going to come. Some of you are adjusting to life with a newborn and you have no idea when the next night of a full night's sleep is going to be. Some of you have lost a job and you don't know when you're going to get a new job. Some of you have felt so dissatisfied and discontent in life that you don't know when a change is going to come that's going to help correct that. Some of you have recently dealt with or are dealing with the loss of a friend or a family member, and you don't know when the grief will go away. Some of you have chronic pain, and you don't know when the the pain will go away or if it will go away. Some of you are battling anxiety, not knowing when the next panic attack is going to come and if it will end. Some of you are enduring intense and deep depression, and you have no idea why. You just feel like you're under spiritual attack after spiritual attack, and you don't know when it will end. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying your hope is in knowing when your despair ends. Control over the timing is not hope, it's just a false assurance of control. You are not in control, and you don't know when it will end. You don't know how to bring relief to your despair. You don't know how to fix your circumstances. You are not in control, and that is a wonderful thing because your hope is not in your control. Your hope can only be in the one who is in control. Put your hope in God because he is faithful to carry you through the end of your despair whenever that may come. And this is exactly what the psalmist is doing here. He tells his soul to put his hope in God. And what happens? Does the hope bring relief? Does it bring an end to his despair? Look at, with, with me at the next response. I am deeply depressed. I told you it's not a cut and dry formula that we can follow. Our hearts are complex and it takes time to lament and hope, and this is what's happening here. It is a struggle and a fight for him. But there is hope in the midst of this deep depression. He says, I am deeply depressed. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Miser, deep calls to deep and the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your billows have swept over me. The Lord will send his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. He again laments and he again remembers. He is fighting to hope. He says, deep calls the deep and the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your billows have swept over me. What he's saying is that in the deep darkness of his misery, the deep darkness of his troubled soul he is calling out to the deep, faithful love of God. His despairing soul is calling out to the faithful God. He is being broken and overwhelmed by the constant crashing of the waterfall. The deep water from above is crashing into the deep water below, and he's caught up in the middle of it. He's struggling to breathe, struggling to hope. In the midst of the breakers and billows sweeping over him, the psalmist cries out to God. He honestly tells God, how he feels and what he wants. Notice he, he isn't tiptoeing around God as if he's an easily angered father. This is not who God is. God is slow to anger. His patience is immense, his love is unsurpassing. You can go to him with your honest feelings. He is your father desiring you to come to him in need like a scared toddler running to his mother. However, there is an important distinction between lamenting to God and cursing God. Lament is an honest expression of your despair to God. It is not just a freedom to curse God with a four-letter word. That is not what lament is. God wants you to bring your confusion and your trouble and your despair and your fatigue to him. Our relationship with him is deep enough and secure enough to do that. We can honestly complain, vent, question, and pour out our emotions to God in a way that is not sinful or cursing him. And that's what the psalmist is doing. He's complaining about his circumstance, but he's turning to God. Notice the psalmist says the Lord sends his faithful love, In his laments and in his fight to hope, he mentions God's faithfulness. Often the idea of faith and hope are intertwined because they are contingent upon each other. You cannot hope in something that you do not trust. Hope is a future confidence that something will happen. Faith, on the other hand, is a personal trust in someone to be who they are and what they claim to be. You can be full of faith when someone is faithful. Hope is a future trust in God's past faithfulness. Let me say that one more time. Hope is a future trust in God's past faithfulness. Hope is just waiting for God to be who he is and do what he says. And when doubt and dejection come, we can look to God for who he is and what he says. We can look back on our life and see his faithfulness in our own life. We can look around to the lives of others and see his faithfulness to them. We can look back through church history and see his faithfulness over and over and over again. Most importantly, we can look at his word and see his faithfulness throughout all of time. God has been faithful. This is not just a fact to learn about God, but he actually is faithful in everything. He never fails. He never forsakes us. He is faithful. This morning, Trent led us in the song Promises. It says, time and time again, you have proven you'll do just what you said Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast. And let my heart learn, when you speak a word, it will come to pass. When we learn to trust in God's faithfulness, we always have hope. Eugene Peterson wrote, I think it's on the screen behind me, and hoping is not dreaming, it is not spinning an illusion or fantasy to protect us from our boredom or our pain it is a willingness to let no it means a confident alert expectation that god will do what he said he will do it is imagination put in the harness of faith it is a willingness to let god do it his way and in his time it is the opposite of making plans that we demand god put into effect telling him both how and when to do it that is not hoping in god but bullying god And the psalmist here continues to hope in the midst of his despair and sorrow. He says, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go on about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? My adversaries taunt me as if crushing my bones. While all day long they say to me, where's your God? Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God. For I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. He repeats it again. He's fighting with his soul, trying to remember and place his hope in God. Interestingly here, the psalmist lists the reasons why he's sorrowful. But then he's asking why. He knows the external reasons why. But he's wondering why his soul is so affected. He knows God is his rock. He knows God will send his faithful love. He says both of those things. So why is his soul so doubtful? It's like watching a movie you've seen before, but you get caught up in those tense moments. You know how it's going to end, but you still get caught up in those, those tense moments uh, being stressed if, if, if the hero's going to win. Or if you're like my wife, it's like uh, watching uh, a Baylor TCU game from 2014 where we won 61-58. It was a, a crazy game, dramatic comeback. Uh, I know we have a lot of TCU fans here, um, probably. Uh, so to be fair, we've played eight times since then. Y'all have won seven of them. So I'll give you that. But the game was crazy, and Maddie is weird. I don't know why she does it, but she watches the recording of like her favorite games. And uh, and she still gets like caught up in the moment of like, are we going to win? Is the, is the comeback going to happen again? And it's like, yes. You know it's going to happen. You know how it's going to end. But why am I so stressed? The psalmist knows God will win. He knows God is his rock. He knows he has hope in God, but he still doubts and despairs. So he asks his soul, why are you doubting God? Don't you know he's going to win? Don't you know he will come through for you just as he has before? So, when you find yourself in these moments of despair, you have a practical example in Psalm 42. When you are overcome with the feeling of sorrow, despair, or fear, like Charlie feeling scared, wanting to feel his parents hold him, how can you fight for hope? This psalm is an example for us to do three things. First, you go to the Father and lament your circumstances of your soul through prayer. And fasting and in the midst of community. Second, remind your soul of God's past faithfulness through His Word. Third, put your hope in His future faithfulness through faith and continue this cycle of hoping, fighting, lamenting, hoping, fighting, lamenting, and remembering. Whether you feel despair, because of a season of spiritual dryness or maybe because of physical or external circumstances causing you pain or sorrow. Or maybe you feel despair because of a conflict in a relationship. Or maybe you feel despair because of spiritual warfare or your flesh is just naturally inclined towards depression. There are various types of storms in our life causing us despair. But listen to me. In all of this, Regardless of your reason for despair, you do have hope. Hebrews 6 says, we have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. The anchor of the soul is the hope that we have in Christ. Without an anchor, you're subject to the waves. You are unsteady, drifting about, going up and down the waves, drifting around. You have no peace, no security, no direction. And when storms come, you will be shipwrecked without an anchor. But with an anchor, you are subject to its hold. You are steady, secure, safe. And when the storms come, you have a strong hold to keep you firm and steadfast. And this is what Christ is for us. He is our anchor throughout this life. He is sure and steadfast. He brings peace and safety in the midst of the storm. He brings eternal assurance to our soul. He is our hope in everything. In Matthew 8, we see a a real boat with real people and a real storm. The disciples are being swamped with wave after wave crashing onto their boat. In the middle of this raging storm where is the anchor. What is he doing? He is sleeping. Jesus is asleep on the boat. So they wake him up and they say, Lord, save us. We're going to die. And Jesus turns to them and says, Why are you afraid, you of little faith? Then he got up, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm over the waters. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. That is our anchor. The man that even the winds and sea obeys. The one who is not afraid of the storm, but is with you faithfully by your side through it. Instead of storms informing your soul, filling it with despair, ask your soul what Jesus asked the disciples. Why are you afraid, you of little faith? Don't you know Jesus holds me fast? Don't you know Jesus is with me? Don't you know he is faithful and true? Don't you know he will overcome all things? Don't you know he is mighty and strong enough for this storm? Ask your soul, why, oh my soul, are you so dejected? Don't you know that you have an anchor that is both sure and steadfast? So in your storm, Your despair, your oppression, put your hope in God again and again and again. And you will still praise him because he will be faithful again and again and again. And persevere in this because the storms will keep coming until one day they will cease forever where there will be no more tears and no more suffering anymore. And on that day, we can say with confidence, I have had a sure and steadfast anchor. He has kept me to the end. He has held me fast. He was always faithful. Father, we we thank you that you are faithful. We thank you that you, Christ, are our anchor. That no matter what storms come, No matter what despair comes, we can cling to you because you are always there and you are more powerful than any storm that comes our way. It is in your name that everything submits in authority. You are good, you are powerful, you are king, and you love us. That is great news. So we pray this morning that you would fill our longing souls, fill our despairing souls with hope. And pray this in Christ's name, amen. As we respond in worship, I want to leave you with a question. What is giving you hope? Whether you are leaving a storm or you are in the middle of a storm or maybe you're about to enter into a storm, What are you hoping in? Take some time and honestly think about it. Assess your soul. Talk to it. Where is my hope? Because I promise you, if your hope is not in Christ, it will fail you. If it doesn't fail you in this life, it will fail you when you die. You cannot take your possessions, your job, your family, your things that you place your hope in with you. Your only hope in this life is having faith in Jesus Christ, that he is who he says he is, and that he is actually faithful. That is your hope. And the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus knows our feeling of despair all too well. And he knows it to a much greater extent and a much deeper level than we can ever imagine. Our despair is nothing compared to the despair that Jesus felt on the cross. It was his soul that was crushed. It was his bones that were crushed. He was the one who was actually forgotten. He was the one who was actually rejected. That God turned his face away and Jesus cried out, Why have you forsaken me? Jesus was literally abandoned by the Father on the cross. He was forsaken so that we will never be. That is the anchor of our hope. We have an eternal hope that is secured through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is why we do communion every single week to remind ourselves that it was Christ's body that it was him that was forsaken. It was him who was crushed. It should have been me. It was my sin and not his. But he took my place on the cross. That is our hope. And that is the greatest display of God's faithfulness. of His faithful love. Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. So come to the table joyfully. Remembering what Christ has done for you. And what's so interesting about Psalm 42, if you notice at the very beginning, it says, a mascal of the sons of Korah. What that means is that this psalm was meant to be sung. The sons of Korah were the ones in charge of leading the worship at the temple. This is a song. And so now as we respond, we get to sing. We get to sing in hope. In the midst of our storm and despair and doubt, let us cling to this hope and song. We're about to sing Lord from Sorrow's Deep I Call, which is based on Psalm 42. And one of the lines says, Sing through the raging storm, you're still my God and my salvation. Grace Church, come to the table. Remind yourself that Christ has taken your place on the cross. He has paid your debt for sin. You are forgiven. Remind yourself of the truth of the gospel and then seeing through whatever raging storm that you are in that Christ is still my God and my salvation.